I'm just excited to hang out with the two of you and talk <laughs> about this movie because I just watched the first one like Danielle told me to. And Excellent. what is even <laughs> happening in my head right now? No, it's a great movie, right? <laughs> it is. I really loved it. Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media with your friends who don't know what you're talking about. And I say friends deliberately today because we have very special guest from I Drink Your Podcast. It's Emily. Yay, Emily. Yay, Emily. Yay, Emily. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh, gosh, it's our pleasure. It's so so why excited. Don't you tell us a little about your podcast before we get into what you know our nonsense is today. Of course. Our podcast is a bunch of nonsense. We <laughs> yes. love just your show and we had Danielle on. But our premise is we cover movies from 2007. So me and... And a trio of guys hang out virtually and talk about a movie from 2007 along with some guests. And Ben, Matt, Wesley, and I became friends because I was a co-worker of Ben's. And the three of them were really good high school friends and lost their movie-going experience around 2007 because sure. Matt went to the Air Force. And they also knew that 2007 is one of the best years, quote-unquote, of movies. <laughs> I have yet to agree <laughs> with that. That's arguable. <laughs> I had no idea there were so many movies just in one year, like... You guys have been going for a while, and it's always great, but like, who knew? Who right. knew? There were so many. We have covered everything from B-Movie to Southland Tales, where Danielle was on. Super great episode. weird. Lovely episode. Danielle's amazing in it. Aw, thank you. And we've covered Transformers. We've done American Gangster. So you just do every movie. Every movie from 2007. Regardless of critical reception. Eventually we will run out, but we've had talks about what we wanted to do next. Oh, so I won't ask you to spoil that, but I am very interested. <laughs> I won't. But we have a great time. We do a lot of creative competitions at the end that is just a fun time. So yeah. I do look forward to the little games you guys do. Those are a yeah. great idea. Yeah, they're Good. amazing. Yeah. I'm glad. We always want some answers from our listeners. So if you ever have some ideas, send them to us or tweet them at us because I love writing those questions and I love writing the answers, but I love hearing answers that are more creative than mine. <laughs> so please send them to fair, us. Fair. <laughs> they're so good. It's amazing the stuff that you guys come up with at the ends Thanks. of those. Like amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure there's some editing magic in there somewhere, but it sounds like you're just coming off the top of your head and it's always like, wow, that's amazing. No, it's, oh, well, it's a lot like that, though. Sometimes. Really? Oh, wow. Sometimes. Some of the answers we do come up with off the top of our head, we'll, we'll do our opponent's choice ones where an opponent will bring like something to the table and then you have to improv it in like a minute or so. Wow. But a lot of our ones, we give some time to think and process through. So we're not perfect. <laughs> 
I mean, but pretty close. Fooled me. <laughs> yeah. So that's I drink your podcast. Definitely check it out. I'm assuming just everywhere you can get podcasts. Pretty much. Yeah. I yeah, don't know of a place that, that you can't find it. So yay. <laughs> Well, today, we are not doing a movie from 2007, so we're going to pull you out of your comfort zone. I apologize for that. I'm so happy that you did. I've been stuck (laughs) in 2007 for too long. (laughs) It really becomes like your entire world. You're like, "Um, everything is 2007 to me. (laughs) No, we are doing the 1991 film Highlander 2, The Quickening. Woo! (laughs) Can you say The Quickening one more time like that for me? Uh. Uh, let's, let's see how there'll be opportunities later in the podcast to say the quickening many times. That was such a Danielle take, thing to say. It was. <laughs> oh, gosh, I have two of you to deal with now. This is going to be great. <laughs> oh, duh, I'm outnumbered. So uh, at this point, usually I would provide a description of the film that you would read to sort of prime you for this. But since you both have now seen Highlander, I figured instead of that, maybe Danielle here could summarize Highlander (laughs) to get the audience back up to speed so they know what to expect in Highlander 2. And since, Emily, you also recently watched Highlander, you can help her out. Please help me out. (laughs) (laughs) It was so many months ago that I watched Highlander. It was like right after we recorded Highlander 1. Oh, I know, I know. I was really (laughs) glad that Emily was here to help you because this was going to take a long time if it was just you, I figured. Gosh. Uh, so what do you remember about Highlander, the original, the definitive Highlander movie? Lord Raiden's in it. <laughs> <laughs> um there's it's it's in Scotland. <laughs> Good start. Highlander. Good start. It starts in a wrestling arena. Yes. It does? Oh, it does. It does. (laughs) It starts in like the actual 80s. Yeah, that's what made me so confused. (laughs) Yeah. So it starts in the 80s. There's like this flashback sequence, which Highlander loves flashbacks, and that continues. What about who is that main character? Remember his name? (laughs) Connor. His name is Connor Connor McLeod. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, John? John? Yeah, that's a... Yes, John. Famous Scotsman John. (laughs) Well, clearly you would have had a Scottish last name. Yes. Okay. Well, moving on. So, Conor McLeod, uh, he is a person in a trench coat because it's the... (laughs) 80s he is he leaves the wrestling match and he's like followed by somebody uh-huh and they end up in a parking lot there you go and they have a sword fight yeah he in just like 80s. pulls a sword from under his trench coat yeah he just has a sword out because apparently in the 80s they don't care <laughs> to bring swords to madison square garden right and i had to know like how was he sitting with a sword in his trench coat i just didn't understand this whole situation well, yeah no he hit it somewhere you don't want to know where <laughs> i'm a magic sword sam clearly <laughs> I will get to more of those too. <laughs> uh, so they have an epic battle. The guy uh-huh. dies, right? The other one guy guy dies. Yeah. How does he die? What's the most important part about his death? Yes, Emily. His head gets <laughs> chopped off. Yes, decapitation. <laughs> and then there was there was like this glowing green stuff, and it was really yeah. weird. Yeah, lightning came out of his like corpse and infused Connor with his essence. <laughs> That's right. There was a bunch of lightning effects. And yeah, sparks. 80s lightning effects, the yeah. best ones. It was like the Return of the Jedi lightning effects. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so they chop off his head because he's the, they has, otherwise they're immortal or something, right? Yeah, yeah. They're immortals. <laughs> and the only way to die is by decapitation. And we don't have to go into a whole lot of details here. We just need the broad strokes because, you know, we're going to get into a lot of it again in Highlander 2. But he was a Scotsman, Connor McLeod. He was discovered to be immortal after fighting a man called the... 
And he's really, really a well-known voice actor, too. I didn't realize that. I don't remember the actor's name. Clancy Brown. Yeah. I was like, dang, I know his voice. He's in Shawshank Redemption. He was the guard in that. I think he plays Mr. Krabs, too. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I did not know that, but good for him. (laughs) He has a lot of... I can't remember, but my husband was like, that voice, close your eyes. You'll recognize it in so many different places. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Thank you for bringing the Highlander facts. That's great. <laughs> That's your job. So, yeah, he's the big villain. He's another immortal who is just evil. And do you remember who shows up a little while later after Connor is banished from his Scottish village? Yes, Emily, you were very excited. Please answer. Well, he just died. So I'm kind of sad. But Sean Connery yeah. shows Sean up. Sean Connery. <laughs> Sean Connery, who was playing. Do you remember his name? He was a Spaniard of some sort, right? (laughs) Well, his name was Ramirez. That's the takeaway. He was a Spanish-Scottish person. Well, he was Spanish. But where'd he come from originally? Egypt. Egypt. Yes, he was an Egyptian man who went to Spain. Does his accent match any of that? No. (laughs) No, it does not. (laughs) It is Sean Connery doing a Sean Connery accent while pretending to be a Spaniard. Who's also from Egypt. (laughs) Who's also from from Egypt. So it's not anything like any accent in the middle east or or you know europe area like that so christopher lambert plays Connor mcleod oh, we didn't right. mention that Lord his Raven. accent is nonsense because he I barely know. spoke english yeah he barely spoke english and he was french playing the scotchman it was a whole soup of weird accent and you'll be pleased to know we'll get to this again that has not changed is oh, he in the yay. second one he and sean connery are both in the second <gasps> really one. Didn't Sean Connery yes. die? Not in real life, but in the movie. This was 1990. <laughs> no, well, you mean the movie he died. Yes. <laughs> we'll get into that too, Danielle. Don't worry. It's all, all your questions will be answered and create a whole set of new questions. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so we're going to skip over all the minutia of the plot of Highlander, but the big important thing is there is a big contest, right? Right. And it's they the all quickening. Ha- yeah, they all the have to fight that- against each other to the yeah. last they're only there's only gonna be one left in the end right it can be only one because they all get drawn to each other in new york or something new york in new york they all get that drawn to each other by the really quickening. cool battle scene though yeah. at the end like the lighting and everything i was into that there is some fun choreography in that movie those fight scenes are over the top and gratuitous and it's great and the whole point is that the kurgan and conor mccarty will be the last ones left and if the kurgan wins quote unquote the prize he will cause a world of darkness and if conor can win he can prevent that from happening because the kurgan's just this evil destructive force right who steals grandma's car yeah, he sold the grandma's <laughs> car and went on a joyride i'm glad you remember that scene you know? <laughs> My one takeaway, that and the church thing. Oh, that was a great scene where they're in the church. And the big rule is they can't fight on holy ground. Mm -hmm. I do remember that. The other rule is to cut off each other's head. And that's pretty much the only rules to this thing. Yeah. So Connor eventually wins. He gets the power of the quickening. He gets the girl. He gets the girl. And then he's not immortal anymore. He becomes mortal. And he says that he (laughs) can hear everyone's voices in his head. So he's like psychically linked to the entire population. And that's how the movie ends. I brought the entire ending to that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why we did this, Danielle. So now you and the audience are caught up on the broad strokes of Highlander. So (laughs) thank you, Emily, for helping us fill in the gap with your much more recent viewing. Thank God, Emily. I totally want to watch it again right now, actually. It was very fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really fun movie. I I guess at the time, I still don't know whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, but it's a fun movie. Yes. 
That's a lot of 80s movies. We were talking, yeah. my husband and I were talking about how 80s movies had such really cool concepts, but terrible delivery. There were very <laughs> yeah. few exceptions, but most 80s movies, just terrible delivery, but the coolest concepts that aren't really always out there now. It's true. So Highlander 2, The Quickening, is different <laughs> Because it is just after the 80s. It was originally released in 1991. And I don't usually go into special editions and director's cuts, but I have to for this movie because this production history is wild. Really? Yeah, it was filmed entirely in Argentina <laughs> just when the economy collapsed and there was hyperinflation. And so midway through the production, the investors and whoever was, you know, between the money for the movie took over control of the production. You know, they they sidelined the director, they took over creative control, they changed a bunch of the things about the story and they put it out there because there was all this crazy money stuff happening while they were filming it in Argentina and it was a massive disaster. It made something like half its budget back in the box office. Was this Highlander 1 or 2? Two? 2. Highlander okay, 2. got it. Yeah. So it was a complete disaster and it bombed and it changed a whole bunch of stuff about the lore and the mythos that ticked off a lot of fans and everyone else who saw it just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and so in 1995, 1996, there was a new version put out on DVD or VHS called the Renegade version <gasps> or director's cut. Oh. Yeah. And this became the only version you can find. I tried so desperately to find the theatrical version. <laughs> I could not find it. It does not exist in a digital format in America because there's like five different versions of this movie. There's the original US theatrical release. There's the European version where they changed the ending. Like a whole different ending was put on that movie and they changed a few other things. What? Yeah. And then they had the Renegade version which replaced the completely failed and derided original theatrical release and i remember the original because i saw the original on vhs you know back in the late 90s or whatever and i really wanted to watch that one again because it's bonkers <laughs> it makes no sense but it at least seems more internally consistent with itself but the renegade version they had about 20 minutes worth of footage recut the scene reordered everything changed a whole bunch of stuff to make it more consistent with the canon of the original highlander oh nice but in doing so they made the second movie itself make even less sense oh. <laughs> because none of that was filmed with the intention of making any sense with the original Highlander. It's like, we're going to do our own thing. <laughs> it was such a disaster that the third Highlander movie called The Sorcerer, don't know what that's about, <laughs> they just completely ignored the second movie's existence. Like, nope, didn't happen. We're going to just ignore that. It's not part of the canon. We're out. Do over. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to describe the only version I could find, which is the Renegade version for you. However, I will a couple of times point out the differences that I remember and was able to look up between this version and theatrical release just to sort of highlight, like, this would make more sense for this movie because of this original intent. You know, I bet there are theses out there or thesi out there all about the Highlander series explaining oh. all of this in great detail and the significance of how it's changed history and time and movies. <laughs> I bet. I, I, when I was just looking for a theatrical copy anywhere, I kept on seeing like these long forum posts people were putting out there about like, <laughs> 
Oh, if you, there used to be one that circulated, which was a fan edit called the Restored Early European Version, or R-E-E-V, the Reeve version. There were all these different versions. Like People would take like the French version, which was the closest one in terms of footage to the U.S. theatrical release, and was put out on DVD, and then dub over the English one to make a better quality. It was insane. People were doing crazy things to try to restore the original theatrical release. It's like when people did like the original Star Wars after George Lucas started making all the changes. Right. People were going back trying to restore the original Star Wars. Same thing was happening here. And it was dedication. And unfortunately, I couldn't find a good copy. But that's okay. What we have is crazy as it is. So the movie opens, black screen. I'm going to read for you the text that comes up on screen just because there's no summary I could do that's better than what this says. The year is 2024. The distant, distant year of 2024. <laughs> so far oh, away. No. <laughs> yeah. Industrial pollution has destroyed the ozone layer, leaving the planet at the mercy of the sun's ultraviolet rays. An electromagnetic shield now protects the Earth. <laughs> A small group believes that the ozone layer has repaired itself and that the shield is no longer necessary, but no one knows for sure. Bum, bum, bum. So that's the beginning of this movie. What does Wait, that have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the opening, like text that gives you the summary for what this movie is going to be about. It's about the ozone layer, industrial pollution, and an electromagnetic shield around the Earth. Okay, so is this like magnetic shield see-through? Can they see through it? Or is no. it like dark or what? So again, this is one of the changes they made from the original, which they have this big orange shield around the planet that blacked out <laughs> all the light and all the UV lights. You couldn't see the stars. You couldn't see the sky even. Like you couldn't see the blue sky. It was all black. In the new version, the the director's cut, the renegade version, whatever you want to call it, they added a bunch of computer graphics to make the shield bluish, but oh. everything else remained the same. <laughs> How did they build that? How does it work? Oh, we'll get into that, Danielle. <laughs> okay. They're going to talk about how the how the shield got built, and we're going to talk about how maybe it gets destroyed. Who knows? You do. Oh, no. <laughs> I do, but as I told Danielle previously, I try to put myself as just a vessel who has no former knowledge as the description flows through me. I love oh, okay. it. Okay. So we cut to a dark city. What city? We never find out, because probably it's supposed to be New York, but they're in Argentina on a sound stage, so it looks nothing <laughs> like New York. We see a statue and a plaque reads, 25 years under the shield, 1999 to 2024. So, cool. And boy, <laughs> did they have high hopes for technology in eight years. Like, <laughs> if they made this movie in 1991, they're like, oh, by 1999, we'll totally be able to put giant electromagnetic shields around the entire Earth. That's within our capabilities. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't go farther into the future. Right. Well, there's a reason for that, which is that Connor McCloud is still alive. And remember, he was mortal at the end of The Last Highlander, which was 1980 whatever. <laughs> so if they went further in the future, he'd be dead. And <laughs> they can't have That's that. That's true. I forgot he wasn't immortal anymore. Right. So painted themselves into a corner with that one. <laughs> So the camera pans over to an opera house as the title comes up, Highlander 2, a little quickening. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, so there's an opera going on inside. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a Wagner opera, something like that. We, we don't know which one. Doesn't matter. It's largely irrelevant, but this is basically the same opening as Highlander where it's going to be cutting back and forth from this scene to some flashbacks, just like with the wrestling match. So, oh, doing some parallels. That's a very cute movie. I appreciate that. <laughs> So the camera pans around the opera house and eventually settles on Connor, who's sitting in a balcony. Trench coat? Uh, no trench coat. He's in a, he's Damn in a, it. He's in a proper suit. Aww. He is 
very old. Still Christopher Lambert, but he's got like white hair, old age makeup, the works, wrinkly face. They're really doing it up. But what year so is this? this is supposed to 2024? Be? 2024. Oh, yeah. So this is like, yeah, we went over this several times, Danielle. <laughs> no. So it's like 30 years, 30 some years after the end of Highlander the first. So he's probably in his 60s? His 60s, right? 60s, yeah. Does he look oh, older than 60? Yeah, he looks like about 90. <laughs> <laughs> great. I'll get to the best part in a moment, but he's got the old makeup. He's asleep, but he starts awake, and then he produces the program. And the camera zooms in on a name, and it says, "You know, opera presented by or presented in the presence of Dr. Alan Neiman. Neiman, who is there." And Connor looks across the opera house with his opera glasses and spots a man who he waves to. I presume that's Dr. Neiman. I don't really remember. It's very <laughs> unclear what's going on, who these people are. So. It's a Highlander movie. That's that's about par for the course. (laughs) So they wave at each other. Then Sean Connery's voice is heard in voiceover saying, Remember, Highlander. Remember. He's like Simba's dad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, just a voice in his head. And then it zooms in on the opera guy and the scene transitions to a flashback, I guess. It's unclear. We are now in some weird ruined city. There's like a matte painting of a ruined city and there are people in robes and turbans wandering around and these massive, look like Egyptian style statues. Everything has this like reddish tinge, like the film has been bronze, like or like Instagram filtered. (laughs) (laughs) And don't know what this is. It's obviously this run down and there are throngs of people who pack into this metal husk of a building. They are there to hear Sean Connery who gets up and speaks. I'm just going to go and read verbatim what he says. Because again, I can't summarize this to make it make any more sense than what he says by himself. <laughs> and what he says is, Free men of the planet, hear me. You gather together in secret for the last time. You suffer under the yoke of General Katana's rule for the last time. And you stand without a leader for the last time. What is going on here? <laughs> no idea. It's completely great. We're in the deep end right away. <laughs> I'm sorry. The planet and a general and... Yeah. How does this relate to the original Highlander, which it was about doesn't. a bunch of dudes with swords? <laughs> it doesn't. No, it is so different. So are they trying to like overthrow something? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So they ask Ramirez, who apparently still uses the name Ramirez, even though this is some weird past future. It doesn't matter <laughs> if he will lead them. And Ramirez says no, but he speaks of another. He sees the great destiny. He pulls out a sword. Lightning sounds crackle around and he points at the crowd and the crowd parts and who is he pointing at oh it's Connor mcleod wait who looks very confused at being chosen by ramirez wait 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 back up i think i missed yes, something please. no you didn't are you serious nope. you didn't miss anything there's a speech they ask sean connery ramirez is talking about how did he get there oh oh it's gonna get so much better it's gonna get so much better okay so is this after they met in the first movie? No. <laughs> this is their they... first meeting. Dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so this scene right here, this whole sequence is one of the big edits they made between the Renegade version and the original. I'm just going to finish this sequence and then I'll go back and tell you what they changed from the original. Okay. Because it'll make more sense, I think, that way if I at least have everything out there at Literally once. anything would make more sense than this. <laughs> Don't don't get too ahead of yourself, Danielle, because you might be wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it cuts to him and Ramirez. They're standing face to face, and there's like this bowl of glowing orange. I'm guessing liquid or light. It just looks like glowing light in a bowl. 
and they dip their fingers into that bowl and this glowing light comes onto their hands. They do like a very slow high five where they touch their hands together <laughs> with the lightning in the fingers. And then Ramirez proclaims, we are now as one. We are bonded. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Who? Are, what the heck's happening? And then Katana attacks. So like everyone's like, oh no, Katana's attacking. Wait, Katana from Mortal Kombat and Lord Raiden? No, no. <laughs> okay. General Katana, the evil dude in this movie. Okay. And then we're back at the opera. So <laughs> the Ramirez voice says, remember the rebellion? That cause is still yours and still just. And I'm like, what rebellion? What are you talking about, Ramirez? Tell me, the audience, what is happening? <laughs> Wait, is there any lore explaining how immortals come to be, like when they are born? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. That's what this movie does. And each version takes a very different approach to it. And it is so good. <laughs> I'm excited. So we're back on the planet. It's a battle. People are dying. Connor is trying to yell to keep the troops together as their leader, who was just made leader like five minutes ago. So good job, dude. When you said back on the planet... What uh, I mean, back on the um, whatever it was, like, you know how they said people of the planet? So we're not on Earth? Okay. I'm not going to... Uh, in this version, we are on Earth. Okay. It's an ancient Earth before time. Okay. So... That suggests uh, that in the I'll other version, they were not on Earth? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, I, no spoilers. I will tell you in a moment, I promise. But yes. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Uh, so people are dying. Connor's yelling at them to keep it together as a menacing figure crests a hill. It's Michael Ironside as General yes! Katana. And he is by far my favorite thing about this movie. Your favorite thing of the other movie was also the evil guy. This is a running yeah. theme for you. They get to be so over the top. They chew the scenery. They yell. They la He is loving it. He's clearly having such a good time in this movie. It's great. I love him so much. <laughs> So then there's some overlapping shots of the battle happening whenever and the opera battle. Connor is clearly like having an episode, but then he and Katana look at each other and smile. And then it cuts to some dark room where Katana is giving a villain speech to Connor, whom he's presumably just captured. Like, we don't even see the battle. They just like, oh, now it's Katana giving a speech to Connor in this dank dungeon room. And he's talking about some eels he has in a water pit. And he's like, eels in their own environment are dangerous. They're like you in Rebellion. And then he grabs an eel out of there. But in my environment, they're servile and tame. And Connor's like, well, maybe they're just waiting for you to be, uh, you know, uncautious so that they can attack and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Standard villain barbs back and forth. And then Katana basically goes, well, it doesn't matter because it all ends tomorrow. So... He's clearly doing his villain gloating thing. And then it cuts to a trial in a cave. So <laughs> so Ramirez okay. and Connor are chained in a cave. Like there's a little rock cliff below three people in robes and General Katana. And Katana declares that the punishment for rebellion is death. And if they judge him guilty, he'll execute them right there. But a voice speaks with the classic, You forget yourself, Katana. As you well know, for many years we have exiled those rebels and criminals who, like you, possess this unholy immortality. Therefore, I sentence you both to exile, and exile into the future! <laughs> Sorry. What? Yeah. Yeah, what? and General Katana is not happy about that. But the premise is, at least that I'm gathering from this version, is that they are being exiled from the past into the future, where they will face the other immortals in trial by combat until only one remains. And at that point, the one that remains will have a choice. They can grow old and die in the future, or return here with their freedom and faith restored, like their with amnesty, their crimes forgiven. Why? How? 
Why does anybody make that a plan for a justice system? <laughs> I don't know. How do they send them to the future? Do they like magical uh, powers? Magic lightning doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> they call Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> That's like the most wild way to to threaten somebody. It's like, we'll send you to the future if we don't like you. <laughs> basically. It's like an insane Hunger Games. <laughs> Before they're sent off, Ramirez reminds Connor that they're bonded now. And it's a bond that can pass even death. All Connor has to do is call out his name and Ramirez will be there just like the song. Aww. So that is the setup. But I'm going to go back and just tell you quickly what the original was. So in the original, when Ramirez like, remember, remember, Highland, he's like, remember Zeist, the planet Zeist, 500 years ago when we started this rebellion against General Katana. So the premise of that one is that all the immortals are aliens from the planet Zeist who failed in the rebellion. And as their punishment, they were made immortal and sent to Earth to fight to the death with the one who survived the blood sport have that same choice whether to return to the planet Zeist after having served their time or to remain on Earth and grow old and die. So either it's aliens or it's people from the past. Okay, Take your aliens pick. makes way more sense to It me. does make more sense. And they're like using Earth as like a penile colony, which is fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes so that's the thing, but then it makes like the immortality was granted them as part of their punishment. And in that version, Ramirez is a sorcerer, and the quickening is his magic powers that everybody <laughs> else has. They just they just completely <laughs> ignore that. They're just like, well, the quickening. Don't forget about that. It's not the and it's magic powers. The quickening is magic powers. So. <laughs> Like I said, they changed this to make it more in line with the original Highlander, but in doing so, this version makes way less sense. <laughs> oh, I know there's a lot to get through, because that setup is deep. It's, it'll be a little bit smoother from here, but man, <laughs> they really changed everything for this. I can't remember. Emily, maybe you remember, because you just recently watched this. When he meets Ramirez in the first Highlander movie, does he act like he knows him? No, not at all. No. And that was another thing. People were like, hey, hey, how did they get born and grow old and die? Like, Connor was born in Scotland. Like, he had a childhood and he grew up and then stopped aging at a certain point. And also, Hogby doesn't remember Ramirez. And there's some BS in the um, script, apparently, where they're like, oh, they're reborn on Earth. They're not, like, just teleported there. But in this version, they're just teleported there. <laughs> Emily's not having any of that. <laughs> no, it, it's BS. This whole movie is insane. Like... If you just told me it was a sci-fi movie, I'm like, okay, fine. If you told me this was a Highlander sequel, like, you, you're joking. This has nothing to do with Highlander. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. That's the whole premise. That's why they're immortal, because they're aliens who are punished with immortality and or past people born with immortality in an ancient society sent to the future. Whatever. Either way. <laughs> I just want to know who the first person was that was like, I have a great solution to this problem. Let's send them to the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, genius. We don't have to deal with them then. They can fight to the death. It'll be really cool in the year 1980. <laughs> yep. Give that person a medal. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, why then let them come back? If you're just like sending to the future, like, hey, you're getting rid of you to the future. Why have this whole amnesty program where the last person to survive is like, no, oh, you want to come back now that you've killed? Let's make the most bloodthirsty and ruthless person of our criminal outcasts and say, now that you've proven yourself to be the most bloodthirsty and ruthless, why don't you just rejoin society? Come on back. <laughs> and also, if they know, I'm assuming they would know that if they chop off their heads, they die. Like, I don't, like, what the hell? 
<laughs> that's that's the premise. Like you are mortals, the only way to kill each other is shove off your head. So that's the blood sport. You're cursed to live out many right. many years. Until but General you can do Katana that. could just be like psh, psh, done and get <laughs> yeah, rid of all. They could of just them. kill them there. Okay, but that's not a problem. But then in like 1980, whatever, that he can't watch them all fight to the death. Emily, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, General Katana is not happy about the solution. He is on your side, Emily. He oh, is good. on the chop off their heads now, and that's why he is the best character in the movie. <laughs> Yay! I'm on board for him. Michael Ironside, freaking hero. <laughs> All right. Oh, so that is the flashback setup, just like in the original. We're past that. Connor is still at the opera. He is asleep, and he gets woken up by an usher, and he wakes up. And this is when we realize so that- So it was a dream? Well, I mean, he was like going through an episode. It's not clear. Okay. I don't know. It's real, but he was like maybe dreaming it or having like a flashback and just fell asleep during the I opera. I mean, he's nine years old, Emily. It's also very <laughs> relatable to fall asleep in an opera. Like I love opera, oh. but falling asleep at a very long opera after a long day, I, I can get that. <laughs> Especially if you're having like flashbacks to your past life slash alien planet. Right. You're, you know, that trauma. You're hearing Sean Connery's <laughs> voice in your head like Mufasa. <laughs> so while he's not just an old age makeup connor is doing a voice so christopher lambert is doing a voice an old man voice <laughs> and oh, i'm going to try to imitate it i've been practicing it's not easy because he's like like he kind of talks like this like he has a rope around his throat like oh hello i have to go it's okay <laughs> and i have no what? idea why he's talking like that <laughs> He's like, oh, it's been so long since I saw an opera. I have to go. I have to go to the bar. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but like that's his voice <laughs> while he's in old. It's like, that's a choice. Like the voices continue to be a defining feature of Highlander. <laughs> oh, man. So Connor gets out and he's driving home and he has a little TV in the dashboard of his car because, hey, future, right? And the TV is like, oh, remember the, how great the shield is. It's wonderful. And the corporation protects us, et cetera, et cetera. But as he's driving through, he sees squalor and decay outside in the city. Clearly, the lack of sunlight and the lack of a blue sky has made people depressed. And there's economic depression. How do crops grow on a planet with no sunlight? I don't know. UV lights? <laughs> don't they just... That's what they're blocking out, Daniel. I know, they're but don't they UV just lights. have like little warehouses full of UV light? They could grow some stuff in there. <laughs> That's a very human solution, to block out UV lights so that we can then make our own fake UV lights to replace the ones we blocked out. Yeah, but out. it wouldn't be as, like, prolific across the environment because it would be secluded into one area. True, but you need electricity to do that. And I'm assuming that in this world, they're still using oil and oh, probably coal and I guess. not energy efficient <laughs> things. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. This Trying movie to rationalize this movie. <laughs> Uh, don't, don't even bother. It's going to get crazier. <laughs> so it's all kinds of decay. And then McLeod pulls over and goes to a public video phone booth because 1991, they figured in the future, shields and video phones, but portable phones, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and so he tries to call Alan Neyman, who is the doctor at the corporation, the SHIELD Corporation, TSC, and he's like the chief scientist in charge of the SHIELD. But he's mysteriously tied up and he's been missing and nobody can like reach him. So, uh-oh. Has been sent to the future? Sent to the past? Sent to another planet? <laughs> all those are distinct <laughs> possibilities in this movie, Danielle. <laughs> 
So after Connor hangs up, he's accosted by some shirtless dudes who are like, do you have any money? Kind of thing. He's going to be mugged. And they're like, oh, wait, you're McLeod. And they somehow recognize him and then are scared off and run away. Why would they recognize him? Is he like universally famous? <laughs> yes, but we don't know that yet. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is wild. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for this wild ride. It's great. So the whole movie is shot very dark because the shield, again, blocks out all the light. It was like perpetually night throughout the entire movie. I mean, Highlander was kind of like that, too. It wasn't a very bright movie. No, but at least there were some daylight scenes, especially like in the flashbacks. That's true. But nope, none of that. And now we cut to the shield control building, which is like a giant glowing pyramid on a hydroelectric dam. So <laughs> that's what controls controls the shield. Sam, I love your descriptions. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I only tell you what I see. <laughs> Uh, there are some guards patrolling the thing, and they're like, oh, we think we hear something. They call it in, but it's like, oh, no, it's probably just fish. <laughs> but no, it's a team of people in wetsuits who are trying to infiltrate <laughs> the uh, shield control building by using very obvious zip lines and then zip lining and then, like, letting go and diving into the water right next to the guards who somehow fish. don't notice them. You know those zip lining fish, yeah. <laughs> Same sound. Like, like, they think they hear something. They're like, nope. And they like they shoot like harpoon guns and like they create the zipline. They zipline like, how does nobody see this? Like, there are guards everywhere and they're not high. They're just zipline over the middle of a river and they dive in. Like, it is so obvious. They're, they are not subtle. <laughs> I might be crying a little bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they sort of climb out in their wetsuits. And I don't know who any of these people are or what they're doing, but let's just go on with it. So one of them, a girl, takes off her helmet because you have to be able to see their faces because everyone always takes off their helmet in movies once they accomplish whatever <laughs> thing they were doing. Because it's always helmets. it's always the women though. Always women have to take off their helmets to reveal that they are a woman. Well, you'll be pleased to know that That's man true. also takes off his Yay! helmet. In this oh, good. <laughs> But only so he can say the line, like, you got to hurry, Louise. We got to do this because then he can introduce her as Louise. <laughs> he couldn't do that with his helmet on. Apparently not. And so they go into this room with this, like, pillar that kind of looks like Zordon from Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> like this glowing pillar. And they do some, like, they turn some things, some things happen, and they're at a computer terminal. I don't know. I guess they're hacking. It's not clear. <laughs> It's the 80s. Oh, wait, the 90s. Oh, wait, it's well, 2024. <laughs> whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. And they're like, oh, we have to get some reading. We have to get that reading. And then alarms start going off. But the screen flashes with some readings that the ultraviolet radiation level is normal. Bum, bum, bum. <gasps> uh -oh. The ozone has repaired itself. Remember back in the 90s when everyone was so worried about the ozone layer? And rightly so, because right. that was a big Those problem. Those good times. <laughs> <laughs> but even in the worst case scenario, the ozone layer was depleted entirely. I don't think it would then cause like, oh, we're all being burned alive totally by, I think it would be a melanoma in incidence increase. Like right. that'd be bad, but it wouldn't be like standing in front of your microwave with the door open. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because this movie seems to suggest otherwise throughout this whole thing. <laughs> this movie seems to suggest a lot. <laughs> Science is questionable from the very beginning of this movie. Well, it's magic, Danielle. The quickening is magic. That's right. That alien magic, potentially. Uh, who knows? <laughs> They're all very excited about that reading, but the alarms go off and guards chasing after them, so they make a quick exit, but some of them are gunned down by the guards. But Louise, at least, seems to escape, and maybe the only one who escapes from this group of, like, 
15 people who are otherwise nameless and inconsequential. Yeah, they were fish. So the person that introduced Louise didn't make it. Fish. I don't remember. If he does, we never see him again. Aw, poor Joey. <laughs> you have a new habit, Daniel, of giving names to nameless characters. I love it. I feel bad for them. You probably have a great time. I don't know if you play D&D or any sort of RPGs, but you probably have a great mm-hmm. time naming side characters that are have no point of being there. Just like all these NPCs. Be like, I want to name them. I'd like to see Danielle in a D&D campaign. That would amuse me. I name everything. I name the spiders in my house. I name- she does. She has told me their names and I have forgotten their names, but she knows. Cameron, Miles, and Chico. Yeah, they and are. And Charles, because awesome. Cameron died. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. It was a very sad day. <laughs> All right. So we cut back to McLeod, who pulls into a parking lot, and then it becomes like a screen, like somebody's watching him. It's Katana, who's watching him like a holographic screen in a cave, because apparently the past slash planet Zeist is entirely made up of caves. So he's watching him from the past into the future. Or from the planet Zeist in the present. Okay. Which makes way more sense. <laughs> Is he just watching? Like, why is he still watching him? Good question, Danielle. Maybe, like, they're starved for entertainment there. Maybe he already watched Friends, like, 17 times and needed something new. Right. And if he's from the past, how is he still alive unless he's immortal? He is immortal. Katana's one of the immortals. Okay. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Did I miss that? Uh, It's briefly mentioned by the... uh, So, in the... Zeist version, they grant immortality to the people when they send them to Earth as right, like part right, of their punishment. Right. So I guess they just make Katana immortal as part of that, just for funsies. Because, you know, hey, <laughs> if they does. can be immortal, I want to be immortal too. Like, who wouldn't want to be immortal? In the current version, the Renegade version, I'm guessing that he is in the past, so it doesn't really matter anyway, but he's also <laughs> one of the unholy immortals that the voice talks about when he banishes Got it. Ramirez and McLeod. Are there more of them? Maybe. I don't know. There's more Highlander movies. <laughs> There are so many more Highlander movies. We might find out. (laughs) This has become a Highlander podcast. (laughs) I'm sure there are some out there. Probably. They probably do a much better job. But you know what? We're here that we can. So Katana is watching him and some voice comments that while McCloud is aging, he hasn't died. So McCloud hasn't made his choice yet. The choice of whether to die what? on Earth in the future, whatever, or come back as a forgiven person back to the past. But he's already lived like 30 years. But he hasn't died yet, Danielle. The death is the point where your choice is made, I guess. <laughs> That's dumb. You could have your it's cake and dumb. eat it too. <laughs> you know, why not? He found a loophole. I say good for him. <laughs> What if he suddenly just got hit by a car and hadn't made his choice yet? Uh, well, then his choice is made for him, Danielle. He's dead. Perfect. Choice made. <laughs> so Katana is not happy about the possibility of McLeod returning to Zeist slash past times. And he calls in two henchmen who kind of look like the twins from the Matrix movies, but like <laughs> lizard or eel versions of them. They kind of got like a slithery, wet look to them. And Katana says for them to leave for the future immediately to kill McLeod. He's sending assassins after McLeod? Yeah, he's sending his eel assassins after McLeod. Do they think McLeod's going to die at any minute? He's only like 60. I don't know if they think he's going to die at any minute. They just don't want McLeod, or at least Katana really doesn't want McLeod to make the choice to come back to the past. Got it. Or slash Zeist. But he's making it seem like it's going to be like any minute that they're going to make this decision. And it could be 30 years from now. (laughs) Well, he could choose to come back at any time. Okay. But shouldn't he have worried about this in the last 30 years? (laughs) It's a great question, Danielle. It's a good question. It's a good question. (laughs) Why is it suddenly important right now? (laughs) Because this is when they are making it, Danielle. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I should have known. Just a movie, Danielle. Movie. <laughs> Plot. <laughs> yep. So then we see a shot from space as like a ripple Wait, occurs in the shield. I'm so sorry. I have a question. So you mentioned Please. eels way at the beginning of the opening. Yes, th- that's so the connection. I are think. these like people that were eels, or he's just obsessed with eels, or what is going on with the eel thing? That is never explained. But my personal headcanon for this is like he had these eels, and in the version where it's Zeist, and this is like the timelines are parallel; it's not the past. Right. He has been evolving these eel creatures for the you know the hundreds of years or millennia, whatever it is that the immortals have been on the planet. That's my personal that. <laughs> personal headcanon. I'm bored, so he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make eel assassins because why not? <laughs> Otherwise, I have no explanation. Maybe they're just like super chic dudes who love that look. Maybe he really likes that look and he makes all his assassins look like that. <laughs> oh, he is a prima donna, so it fits. <laughs> anyway, so we see a shot from space and there's a little ripple in the shield as the eel assassins are blasted to Earth, uh, I guess. Or blasted from the past. <laughs> blasted from the past to space and then Somehow go it, it makes more sense being from another planet <laughs> at this point. <laughs> So then we're back to McLeod, who goes into a bar. He puts a song on the jukebox and then goes down with the bartender. It's like, oh, hey, Connor, old buddy. He's like, hey, He's like, hey Jimmy, how's it going? <laughs> so he's chatting with the bartender. And the TV conveniently comes on to a news channel talking about the recent terrorist attack on the Shield Control Building. Mm, and that the fish. Louise, the fish, <laughs> yes. That evolved into people. As they people were zip-lighting. Zip yeah, there you go. <laughs> And so the TV mentions that Louise is still at large and puts up a picture of her on the screen. And McLeod's like, oh, wow, she's a pretty girl. Does he still have his girlfriend? She passed away. Oh, she's long dead. We'll get to that. (laughs) Oh, It's only been 30 years. We'll get to that, Danielle. Don't worry about it. That's so sad. I'll tell you what, she's been dead for like 25 years. Oh, (laughs) she did not live long, huh? Nope. That's so sad. we cut to Louise, who's on the run. She's in the grimy streets, and she starts changing off her wetsuit into this yellow outfit. And there's a piece of paper in the yellow outfit that says McLeod's name and an address. Okay, how'd that get in there? Did she put that in there to remind herself that he existed? Did someone else slip that to her? I don't know. It never Doesn't comes matter. back. <laughs> nope. That's it. That's the only time we see the piece of paper. But clearly, she wants to find McLeod. Why? Don't know. Back in the bar, a drunk woman in a palm tree print dress and a non-matching beret is like, hey, are you McLeod? And he's like, yes. And she's very like sarcastically excited to meet him. He's like, oh, I'm so happy to meet the guy who ruined the world. Because apparently McLeod is one of the people who built the shield with Dr. Allen. What? Why? How? That's a great question. At what point was McLeod ever qualified to be a electromagnetic shield scientist? I mean, he definitely had time to learn that over no, the years. Because even if he spent his entire history, you know, studying, he only this is from the eighties, we didn't really know a whole lot. Like eighties technology was not the point where you could create electromagnetic shield technology. Like you'd have to be I I don't know. I have no idea why he's qualified. <laughs> like the timeline this isn't like five hundred years in the future where he's been studying physics for you know, thousands of years or whatever. I have no idea. They picked a random stranger off the street. They're like, hey, guy, come with me. I need some help creating the shield. (laughs) Somehow McLeod became one of the creators of the shield. I have no idea why he was qualified or where his knowledge came from. And this movie doesn't care either. (laughs) But after the woman gets very aggressive with him, the bartender, like, throwing her out. And then she turns around and runs back and smashes a bottle on his, like, arm. And it, like, cuts his hand as the glass shards fall. And then the bartender throws her out. Next scene. We're back at the shield control. (laughs) 
the editing is wild. Something is going wrong. Alarms are going off. People are panicking. Something's messing with the shield. We never find out what it is because we're back in the bar. Do we ever find out what it was? <laughs> I'm assuming it's the evil assassins coming through the shield. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but that's never made clear. So back in the bar, the cut on McLeod's hand suddenly rapidly heals. And he's like, oh, no, not again. I'm going to do that voice every time he does it because it's fun. <laughs> and I, just, I have no idea what's going on, but I presume it's because the eel assassins are there, which means there are more immortals present, and therefore it's back to being he's not the last one. Oh. And so the game is back on. That so he's immortal again. Yeah, yeah. Not again! <laughs> <laughs> That's why he said These it. are banana rules. Like, I don't think... <laughs> like, these are yeah, wild. Yeah. Again, the mythology here is this is this is like it goes over the line. Like Highlander One doesn't explain any of how this works. This is like they're immortals, accept it, go with it. And we accept it. Yeah. We yeah. totally accept it. Yeah, yeah. And this movie's like, we're gonna explain this everything in such detail, but it makes infinitely less sense. <laughs> like the more they try to explain it, the less sense it makes. <laughs> So McLeod leaves the bar, and Louise, the fugitive, just kind of walks up to him out of the streets like, Hey, are you McLeod? I've been looking for you. Quincent's running into you here at this bar, I guess, <laughs> at the right time, after I just did a terrorist attack. <laughs> but McLeod's like, go away. I don't want to deal with this. I, I am not in the business anymore. I'm too old to do anything. I don't need to be I'm part of some terrorist cell. I'm not in the business cell. anymore. <laughs> He's like, I'm retired. I, I, you know, I did my, I made the shield, but I'm old. I'm out of this. I'm, I'm not, I'm too old to do anything. So the, the movie is also full of dialogue that is clearly trying very hard to be quippy and clever. Like their little exchange goes when he says he's too busy to help her. She's like, did somebody die? And McCod responds, unfortunately not. And I'm like, is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about like someone came back from the dead? I don't know. <laughs> it's all like very fun. That looks great. But Louise persists. And she says, like, she used to admire McLeod and how much passion he had for the world and how he tried to save it. So, And then she just gets in his car as he's driving off. And she's like, I'm going with you. I'm just coming along with you. And he's like, fine, suit yourself. And then she just drives away in his convertible. I mean, she's definitely into that pretty girl because he said something about her being pretty before. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sparks are flying. Are they going to get together? <laughs> <laughs> Give me about five minutes of screen time and I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Louise is telling McLeod that something's up with the shield, that maybe she can help, that there's something going on. But then lightning sound effects. McLeod is in pain. Something's happening. It's the quickening. Did he reverse age? Not yet. But he's going to. <laughs> <laughs> when those eel assassins come flying through on hover blades, <gasps> like hoverboards, <laughs> calling... Oh, to geez. call out McLeod, like, we're going to get you, McLeod. Come out, you're time to die. And it's so good. Wow. <laughs> through on cheesy hoverboards. I love Is it. Is that how they flew through time and or space? <laughs> Who knows, Danielle, but it's how they're going through the streets of this grimy city and they found McLeod instantly. Just like Louise. <laughs> yeah, like a homing beacon, obviously. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Maybe it's the quickening. Maybe they all have the quickening. Maybe the quickening is a universally human trait. I don't know. <laughs> So McLeod pulls over and he gets out of the car. He tells Louise to hide in the dumpster while he fights the eels, which she does. <laughs> and so the two eels argue about who's going to fight McLeod. I'm just calling them the eels. They're, they're human beings, but with eel features. <laughs> I'm just calling them eels for clarity. I didn't think they were clear. like walking eels, Sam. It's okay. <laughs> just must want to be clear about that because that would be a much better movie if they were walking eels. <laughs> I was definitely picturing Flotsam and Jetsam from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Great. Then it'd be even weirder that they weren't aliens. 
So they're going, who's going to fight McCloud first? Who's going to kill him? And then one hovers around on his hoverboard, skate thing, shooting at McCloud with a gun, but missing because Stormtrooper aim, I guess. <laughs> and then McCloud runs around, panic, calling for Ramirez to help him. And then he runs up like some catwalks and just crisscrossing the streets. Like, they're like fire escapes, a fire escape connected uh, buildings across streets. Mm. Huh. Who knows? And he gets up there. And the one of the eels follows him up there, and for some reason he pulls out his sword to start fighting McCloud instead of using his gun. And <laughs> McCloud pulls off a pipe from one of the scaffolding things, one of the catwalks, and he's like, thank you, to somebody, and grabs the pipe and they start sword fighting the eel with the pipe. He says thank you for the pipe? He just says thank you, like looking up, like, I don't know if he's thanking the heavens or thanking Ramirez for providing with him a weapon, but... Okay. Why goes Ramirez? Why didn't the eel guy just keep shooting? Why did but Ramirez give him a happen. sword? <laughs> Ramirez didn't give the eel guy a sword. I know, but he should have given McLeod a sword. Yeah, well, didn't have a sword. He had a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> so they're fighting, and a cop car shows up, and the other eel guy shoots the cop car with his gun, and the whole cop car explodes. So clearly, Yay! that's a better weapon than the sword. I love explosions. <laughs> there are so many explosions in this movie. It's wonderful. Yay. So the eel guy and McLeod fight. Sparks fly because the Highlander fight scene. There's got to be sparks flying from the swords while they're fighting. McCloud is losing, but he rolls off the catwalk onto a slow-moving train that's just sort of moving underneath the catwalks over the surface. Like, this is not a streetcar or other sort of public transit train. It's just a regular train that happens to be driving in the middle of a street. (laughs) Technology, am I right? (laughs) Right, guys. The future is wild. Or... The future has street trains. <laughs> it's a big old train, and they're fighting on top of the train. Yes. But McCloud gets the upper hand, and he manages to push the eel guy, and he falls off the train, and he falls in just such a way that the train runs him over, decapitating him. Oh. Yay! <laughs> no way. It's, like, it's super slow motion, and it looks super fake. Like, it looks like Play-Doh. Like, is that going to be a Play-Doh? It's like, sort of squishes out, and the head comes off. It's wonderful. <laughs> And so then lightning effects happen, sparks fly, it's the quickening, it's like going to his body, McCloud starts yelling, there's explosions everywhere, the windows blast out, cars explode, a hapless truck driver drives through and probably just dies as like the tanker truck he's carrying, the tanker detaches and it's carrying, I'm guessing, nitroglycerin from the way it explodes (laughs) when it crashes into Connor. Poor Carl. So when when all these explosions happen, is it like how they cut it in the original Highlander, yeah. where it's like we're gonna get every different camera angle we possibly can on this explosion? Oh, it goes on forever. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's exactly that. This is clearly their homage to the original Highlander. Yay. <laughs> so there's a big explosion as the tanker truck crashes into McCloud, but he just walks out of the fire unharmed and young and sexy. Yay! Oh, yeah. Burned away his oldness. <laughs> He is back to being young Christopher Lambert, hunky as always. And now he doesn't he's, have the voice anymore. He's no, young. He he's young. I mean, back to, back to his age, he was in Highlander. The first, like, he's obviously three years older than he was in the Highlander movie or whatever. Right. Whatever many years he is before they made the original Highlander. But yeah, he's that exact same age again. So Danielle's right. The fire burned off his old. <laughs> well, the quickening burned off his old and made him like restored his vigor, restored his youth, restored his power as one of the immortals, I guess. It was definitely so the fire. 
Sure, it was the fire, the nitroglycerin tanker truck. You sort of, and as a cute little touch, there was like a pair of lips on the tanker truck, like painted onto the front of the tanker truck, so it looked like it kissed him when it crashed into him. It was cute. <laughs> so the eel guy, the other eel guy, the one who isn't dead, is like laughing because he thinks McCloud is killed in this explosion. But as McCloud walks out of the fire, the eel stops laughing. <laughs> And then he, like, has a backpack on that, like, metal wings spring out of. What? And he starts flying around, like, you know, Superman flying around on this metal backpack wings towards McCloud. And McCloud picks up the sword from the other eel guy, and they start fighting. And the eel guy, the one who's still alive, shoots at McCloud, hits him in the shoulder. McCloud doesn't seem to care. And the eel guy never tries to shoot McCloud again after that. <laughs> Well, at least he learned something. Fair enough. But then McCloud jumps on the hoverboard from the other eel. So oh. now you have one eel guy flying around in his wings, <laughs> and you have McCloud on a hoverboard, and thus begins the most confusing and ridiculous fight scene I have ever seen. How are the effects, Sam? Awful. But it's amazing because the camera is just cutting rapidly back and forth between McCloud on his hoverboard and the guy flying around, and they are never in the same shot at the same time. <laughs> So it's just like, flying guy, the cloud, flying guy, the cloud. And you're like, who, where, are they, like, is he behind him? Is he, I have no idea where they are in relation to each other. I think like McCloud's chasing him at first, but then it cuts to the eel guy and they're like charging at each other like they're jousting. <laughs> and the cloud makes like a weak eh, swipe at the eel guy as he flies past overhead and like kind of swipe at each other ineffectually. So cool. And that goes on for a while. Is Louise still in the dumpster? Uh, yeah, she's, she's somewhere, probably in the dumpster. We don't see her again in this fight scene. <laughs> okay. I forgot she was even there. <laughs> so did the movie. <laughs> you imagine it's been like an hour. You're just hanging out in this dumpster. You're like, oh, is it I'm over yet? <laughs> explosions. Like, I'm going to sit in this dumpster. This seems like a good idea. I'm glad Emily remembered it because I forgot too. <laughs> so as the cloud is flying around, he crashes into a taxi and just falls off his hoverboard because skills, dude. <laughs> and then the eel guy and McCloud quip at each other a bit. And then the eel just shoots some random dude off to the side and like incinerates him with an explosion. So he has his gun still, but he's still swinging at McCloud with the sword. I don't know. Uh, then he's back to shooting at McCloud and then McCloud deflects a bullet with his sword. Like puts his sword up between his two hands to like deflects a bullet lightsaber style <laughs> because that makes sense when these were exploding before. Oh, <laughs> this is great. He wraps a cable then around his sword and as the guy is flying towards me, pulls the cable taut, and, like, clotheslines the eel guy. <laughs> does his head fall off? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. It decapitates him totally. Even though this is a very thick cable, the eel guy is going very slow, and he doesn't just, like, flip around. Like, it takes his head off, and then his body careens into, like, an electrical box and gets fried just for good measure. <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it is uh, nonsense. It's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch this later. I know, me too. <laughs> you, you, you will not be Again, you'll have to find the Renegade version, but it's still worth watching. So there's more lightning as McCloud falls to his knees, calling for Ramirez, and then some of the lightning shoots up, deflects off the shield, apparently deflects around the earth, and then strikes a stage in Glencoe, Scotland. What? What? <laughs> yeah. And on the stage, there's a production of Hamlet that is interrupted by when the lightning strikes with a puff of smoke and Ramirez reappears, Sean Connery in all his glory. Is he playing in the production dad in Hamlet? Of Hamlet? <laughs> well, the production is interrupted. The guy is doing like the last poor York speech and then Sean Connery appears on stage after a lightning strike. No, it totally should have been the scene with Hamlet's with Hamlet's uh, dead father. The ghost. Yeah, the <laughs> right, ghost. Right, the ghost. <laughs> it would have like, been funnier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
avenge me, I am Ramirez. <laughs> what does he say when he shows up? Does he say anything? He's like, oh, hello. And the audience is like laughing. He's like talking to the actor, not realizing he's in a play. And he's like, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to this skull? I don't need to know about your relationship with this guy. He's like, you know, these lips, I kissed them I know not how many times. He's like, I didn't need to know about your history, dude. I'm like, all right. <laughs> And then eventually the guy's like, get the hell off the stage. And Ramirez realizes he's in a play and the audience is all laughing along. He's like, oh, time for me to go. And he takes the sword from Hamlet, which apparently is not a prop sword, (laughs) but a real sword. And he takes a bow and just walks off stage to applause. And the bagpipe music is playing. Because they're in Scotland, but remember, he is a Spanish Egyptian, not a Scotsman, <laughs> but he is treated as a Scotsman in this movie almost exclusively. Wow. I mean, if Sean Connery appeared on your stage, wouldn't you clap him off, too, as he walked off with this sword? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely applaud him. <laughs> so, Ramirez is back. It's wonderful. Oh, man, I gotta hurry. We are so much more to go. <laughs> uh, so, Louise now climbs out of the dumpster. And is struck by how totally hunkified McLeod is. She's like, oh, wow, look at this dude. I feel better about them potentially becoming a couple now. I was a little concerned. <laughs> so McLeod gives her his little speech about how he is Connor McLeod of the clan McLeod and he cannot die. And then they make out a whole bunch just in the middle of the street and it gets intense. Like, they make out hard. He like presses up against the wall. They start shedding clothes. It is insane. Like, they just go at it. Do they bone? Oh, 100%. Like, it cuts away, but that's exactly what happens. <laughs> just out there in the street. I'm just uh, up against the wall. It's the post-trauma sex. It is, sure. Yikes. There's also a brief refrain of Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen, <laughs> but otherwise, their wonderful music appears nowhere in this movie, and it's very sad. Oh, that is... Yeah, there's no Queen soundtrack. They did not have the budget for that. <laughs> really depressing. So they're back at McLeod's place. It's post-coitus. Louise is like, let me get this straight. You're mortal there, but immortal here until you kill all the guys from there who have come here, and then you're mortal here unless you go back there, or some more guys from there come here, and then you become immortal again. (laughs) And that's pretty much the plot of the movie. (laughs) She does a great job of summarizing. Now, what is there? I don't know. Zeist or the past or whatever. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So thank you, Louise, for catching us up. (laughs) So then Louise asks him, if he built the shield, maybe he can figure out what's going on up there and if he can take it down. But then we cut back to Ramirez, who's wandering through Scotland, fish out of water style, as more bagpipes play. And he is sort of entranced by all the technology. There are cars, there's TVs. And he's like, oh, I got to get some new thread. So he walks into a fancy tailor's, the oldest suit maker in Scotland. And when the man's like, we can't just make you a suit in a few hours, because he's like, I'm hurry, I got to be someplace, make me a suit. Ramirez is like, get it done in a few hours. And he takes off his clip-on pearl earring and just hands it to the guy. And the guy's like, cool, that works for me. <laughs> like, it's just some kind of currency. Like, the pearl is just as good as money. He doesn't have it appraised. He doesn't know how much it's worth. He's like, yeah, I'll trade a pearl for a fancy suit that may be fake. <laughs> right. Like, so you give him a bag of gold. It's it, that kind of, like thing where he's like so the yes sir right away sir whatever you need <laughs> and so the suit gets made in the montage of them sizing up sean connery and making the suit and it's played to the william tell overture for some reason what are you <laughs> yes. serious yes. they do a montage of making a suit with the william yep. tell overture <laughs> that is correct <laughs> well they had to hurry i mean it's a it's a good hurrying <laughs> song <laughs> Accurate, but not for making a suit. (laughs) 
well, I've never made a suit. Maybe it helps. I don't know. If there are any suit makers out there, tell us. <laughs> so at the end of the montage, they put Ramirez into a limo and then send him off to the airport where he is captivated by the flying experience as a person who died hundreds of years before flying was even a concept. So now we're back to McLeod and Louise, who bemoans never having seen the blue sky, and McLeod waxes poetical about loving nature, and blah blah blah, I'm just gonna skip all this, I don't care. And then we're back to Katana, who watches McLeod defeat his eel assassins on his holographic TV in a cave. <laughs> and then he declares, you want something done right? You gotta do it yourself. Exactly. And he teleports himself to Earth, <laughs> Saw that kind of- crashing through the roof of a subway car. <laughs> To land in a subway train amongst a bunch of people. So this didn't occur to me to ask until now, but how did Ramirez just suddenly appear? Uh, the quickening? I don't know. <laughs> Remember how they bonded to each other? Like, uh, call sure, my name sure, and I'll be sure. there. Their magic bonding caused him to be re- resurrected, Danielle. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, I'll, it's all I'll it is. I'll go with that, sure. But now that they're still, both of them are alive, they're still immortals, and one of them yep. has to kill one another, but there's Katana. Yep. Good thing there's Katana. Okay. Yeah. I think Katana is now coming to Earth and he crashes through the shield, crashes through a subway car onto a subway. And as everyone's sort of watching him, like concerned, like, oh, this guy just crashed through. He slowly picks himself up off the car and then goes, that was great. (laughs) Yes. And he's just loving it. He's clearly so into his whole shtick. He is eating it up. And Michael Ironside is hamming it up. I and love I love him. it. He's great. And so he just kills some random dude on the subway. And then he breaks into the controller of the subway and revs up the subway super fast, like five, six hundred miles an hour fast, while <laughs> laughing maniacally. And rock music is blaring. The passengers are freaking out. And I am here for this. This is the kind of crazy I was missing. The seats in the train are coming undone like flying around because the car is going so fast the people in the train the passengers are like flying backwards again crushed against the rear of the car and like literally like blood's coming out of their faces and they're dying and crashing through windows it is very gruesome but it is absolutely insane like one dude's face kind of like melts like in total recall as like the forces push his skin back from his face it is absolutely crazy so Katana, he crashes this subway car through a wall. He's like, last stop, and then gets off <laughs> because he's just that kind of villain who just has a joie de vivre I appreciate. Did he derail the subway? Oh, yeah. It was like 600 miles an hour or whatever. I know. It had scary to stayed on the rails. It's a movie. You never know. Oh, the movie's off the rails, Danielle. The subway car, too. <laughs> so now we cut to McLeod, who's pulling up in his car to the Shield Corporation control place, the HQ that was broken into previously, and he's led in without a problem after he gets his handprint scanned, because I guess he's an old guy there. He designed the Shield. They'll let him in. <laughs> and he goes to see Alan, the doctor he made the Shield with, and Alan, he reminisce about the day they made the Shield, and then we have a flashback about that. And Alan doesn't think it's weird that he's young? Oh, he says that, and he's like, oh, you must have gotten a facelift. And he's like, yeah, something like that. And they just move <laughs> wow, on. Wow, you look- 50 years younger. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, movie's got a movie. <laughs> Did a you great... say Alan was missing, Emily? I thought at the beginning what? Alan was missing or he couldn't get a hold of him. He, he couldn't get a hold of him. He was, he was being, like, secluded. He was being cut off. Oh. But he wasn't missing. He was just being isolated. Okay. Was he isolating himself? No. Did we find out anything more about that? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the younger pair of them are excited about the project to protect the planet from the sun. And so there's a satellite in orbit and it receives a beam of light from the pyramid base station thing. And the shield engulfs the planet. Hooray. I still have no idea why McCloud was qualified to help lead a team of scientists to build the shield. <laughs> That's just something you got to go with. So back in his office, Alan is telling McCloud the UV radiation above the shield is normal. But he is not talking about he's typing it on his computer monitor because he knows he's being monitored by the evil head of the corporation, David Blake. Played by John C. McGinley. Ooh. Wait, what? <laughs> yes, Dr. Cox himself. Oh my god. Oh my god. Is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he is my other favorite person in this movie because when he and Katana get together, and they do get together, they have such great villain energy. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's so funny because in a few hours I'm recording our podcast on wild hogs and he plays a very bizarre gay <laughs> sheriff in that. And so I'm so glad just like world's connecting for me. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We have uh, the, the McGinley connection. <laughs> Sounds like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd a weird that. game like Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, yeah, six degrees, six degrees of, of John C. McGinley. <laughs> a hard game. So Alan tells him, tells McCloud that he has to go above the shield to verify that the UV radiation is down. And there he gives him some coordinates about a place he might be able to get above the shield. But he's interrupted as Blake pops in to say, hey, how's it going, guys? Just to be all menacing and talk to you guys in a menacingly way and sort of vaguely threaten you guys about how the shield is essential and eternal. And we won't need to stop having all the countries pay us money to maintain the shield. So clearly he's in it for the money and he knows the UV radiation is down, but he's going to maintain the shield anyway, even if it's not necessary because of all the money. That seems realistic. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, realistic. And so after he and McLeod clip a little bit, we cut back to the fun stuff, which are people doing flips in the street for no reason as a cab drives Katana around playing rock music. Oh. They're just dancing in the street. Not even dancing. This guy just does a couple of flips through the street as a cab drives by. Like the music's in the car, not... Out in the, I don't know. <laughs> so Katana tells the cab to stop at some point, and he just like stabs his sword through the windshield from the back of the cab, and he smashes the window so he can open the door from the outside, which is just unnecessary because <laughs> he can open the door from the inside. He then goes around smashing the car headlights and is like just having a blast, just smashing things. And the cab guy's like, oh, okay, cool. That would be my reaction. And he smashes the window next to the cab and is like, Put it on my tab and a little something extra for yourself and just leaves. <laughs> Doesn't hate <laughs> him, just says that. <laughs> yeah, just says that. And he's like, I don't know what he's doing, but he's clearly having so much fun. I love <laughs> that it. poor cab driver. It's his entire living and now it's destroyed. <laughs> what do you want to name him, Danielle? Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Mike. <laughs> Mike, there we go. Mike the cab driver. That's that's predictable. Uh, <laughs> So Katana then goes very excitedly into a building that looks abandoned, and then the dude's just laughing and having a great time. And then we cut back to the flight, where Ramirez is nervous about, you know, flying. He, he asks his seatmate how they can remain flying so high above the earth with safety, and she responds, with drinking, and just cackles. And I'm like, yeah, I like your style. <laughs> That's true, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then he watches a horrifying safety video about air travel. I'm like, nah, things haven't changed much. <laughs> 
And then we're back to Katana. Up on the roof of that building, there's like a metal dome behind him. He calls out McCloud. He's like, McCloud, I'm waiting for you. Come to me. Because he can hear him. I guess he's just like yelling into the ether, summoning him through the quickening. I don't know. <laughs> I think that would probably work in this movie, though. It, well, it yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone was able to find McCloud, so obviously McCloud yeah. can find anyone, too. They didn't know about GPS back then, but they predicted <laughs> it with this, the quickening. <laughs> So, McCloud goes to visit the grave of his first, or his second dead wife, Brenda. Remember her? The movie almost oh, does. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> jeez. There's a voiceover from her saying, forgive me for leaving so soon, blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to a flashback of her lying in a burn ward, like, covered in burns. Oh, what? A bunch of people in this burn ward. And it's like, oh, this is a UV radiation burn ward from the ozone layer being depleted. So this is like people standing outside, don't just get, you know, sunburned, but like actually third degree burns. So they're trying to make it, give him a reason to have been so gung-ho about putting the yeah. thing around the planet. Yeah. yeah, so she's like... Stop the sun, save others, stop the sun from killing us. And he's like, I promise, I promise I'll protect everyone. I'll use all those skills I have to create this <laughs> thing right. around the like, earth. I'll use my sword fighting skills to make a shield. You know, maybe he just had all the money. I don't he know. He was very wealthy. That's he true. could have been like the money. I didn't think about that. So maybe he was the bank rolling this whole thing. But if the whole planet was dying, like if this was this bad, we're just stepping outside, bent, like standing in front of a laser and getting your face fried off, that money would not be a problem to building something to save the whole human race. It would right. have to be this bad for us to actually save the whole human race. <laughs> that's that's actually accurate. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm not cynical enough. <laughs> and so, blah, 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 blah. He vows to protect the world. We're back in the present and he laments about how he's glad she didn't live to see how bad things have gotten and what the shield has become. And then Katana shows up. Hey, he found McCloud, even though he called McCloud to him. I don't know. <laughs> but he gives this, like, sarcastic clap for McCloud. Like, yeah, I always appreciate a good speech of those who can talk to the dead. He slow clapped him? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful Again, villain. He is doing everything right. So they trade barbs a bit, and McCloud's like, you done goofed, Katana. I was ready to grow old and die, but you changed everything, because now I'm immortal again, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to fix everything. Katana disrespects his wife's grave by, like, stepping on him. McCloud gets all up in his face, and then Katana's like, ah, 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 remember the golden rule? We can't fight on holy ground. And then he vanishes. He vanishes! Like, there's, like, a group of people pass between them, and he disappears, oh. like, the people like, the whole <laughs> Okay, thing. I thought you were like, poof. <laughs> no, but basically. But that rule about the holy ground, I think, makes even less sense in this version of the film than it does in, like, the first one. Because if they're aliens, why do they care about respecting Earth religious holy grounds? Right. Like, why is that a thing? If they're from some distant past, before religion, like, before all the modern... Why do they... None of that makes any sense. Why is that a rule? Why is that a thing? Why do they all respect it? Why are they just like, no, nah, I'm just going to cut your head off anyway? <laughs> Maybe they just haven't tried. Maybe it's like an old wives tale and they're just like all scared of the holy ground <laughs> yes danielle yes i forgot about the lore that gets passed down from a mortal to a mortal from this movie <laughs> all right well that's cool anyway we move on back at mcleod's place louise climbs a spiral staircase to mcleod's trove of memorabilia about his long life and it doesn't matter it's all pointless i'm gonna skip it <laughs> McCloud goes to the weird abandoned building where Katana is hanging out in that we saw earlier. How do you find it? I guess Katana left him a note like, hey, you have this address. 
<laughs> and he walks in and he hears a scream and some like body plummets from the roof. It's this giant like warehouse. It's way up there. And this body falls and is cut short by a rope around the neck. And this guy just by just hanging there. So Katana's clearly just been murdering me. <laughs> just like random people oh, wow. on the street. Yeah. <laughs> and McLeod is unfazed by this. And he slowly climbs up into this metal dome at the roof of this building where Katana is waiting. Katana has like this sword that's spring loaded. Like it. It's like collapsible, but he pushes a button like an umbrella. It springs forward a bit. That's but amazing. It only like extends by four inches, so it seems entirely pointless. <laughs> like it only goes from like four inches short to four inches longer. Like it, it's virtually no different. <laughs> So I don't know why they would take the effort to make a sword that's probably less structurally sound with this spring mechanism just to make like a four inch difference in length. Because movie. <laughs> because this is like the collapsible sword that Kurgan had in the first one that he carried <laughs> around in the suitcase. That was so cool. That made more sense than this. <laughs> so they fight. It's a Highlander fight. Sparks fly. They burst out of the dome onto a walkway around the outer edge. Then they go immediately back inside the dome and fight a little bit more. And then McCloud climbs on top of an elevator. Katana cuts the cable and McCloud falls on the elevator all the way down. It takes like 40 seconds for him to fall. This whole, it's like a very long fall. Wow. And then he crashes into the bottom where his body's all twisted and broken, but he starts healing himself like Wolverine because that's what these immortal people do. And Katana from way above looks down and says, nicely played McCloud and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you right where I want you, but I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, like, his body is being healed. He could have ran down there and talked to his head. He's like, nah, well done, McCloud. You have foxed me this time by dying almost in an elevator crash. I'll come back for you later. <laughs> And then McLeod goes back to Louise and tells her about his first dead wife, Heather. Yeah, I was going to say, McLeod has to has to bone Louise again at some point. Like, that just makes Absolutely. sense in this movie. You can't just bone once. <laughs> well, no, he's, he's, a, he's a gentleman. <laughs> Always bone at least twice before vanishing. <laughs> so McLeod goes back to Louise and he tells her about his first dead wife, Heather, and then about his latest dead wife, Brenda, and all this time about ex-wife gets Louise all hot and bothered. <laughs> For some really weird reason that I cannot explain. But suddenly someone shows up. So no nookie for them. Aww. And McLeod goes to investigate. It's Ramirez! Yay! He found McLeod somehow from Scotland and whatever. Black and Ramirez. Ramirez totally interrupts them. And they sword fight for a while while Louise hides upstairs. Like they're having like a fun, playful sword fight. They banter back and forth. They have actually really good chemistry because I think Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery became actually really good friends during so the filming cute. of Highland. <laughs> so they have like a really good chemistry in this movie. It's very cute. And so they fight for a while, then they hug, and Louise comes down and a cloud introduces them to each other. And then we cut to Brent walking to Alan's office, the doctor, and he's like of course, I've been monitoring your computer. I saw your secret conversation with McLeod. I know what you're trying to do, but it doesn't matter since there isn't enough energy on the plant to take down the shield without killing everybody. And I'm like, what? What? You can just turn it off? I don't yeah, understand. Yeah, there's not like an off button at the... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's not an off button. That seems like a terrible plan. You know what? Alan and Connor clearly planned this thing to last forever and did not plan to have an off button, which is wild. <laughs> So then he has Alan taken away and presumably thrown in prison. And then later at a board meeting, Brent is giving a little speech about how the S.H.I.E.L.D. police stopped Alan, another terrorist, and the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation is doing wonderful when Katana just shows up in the boardroom. <laughs> and Brent is like, Yay. what's going on? He's just giving this like speech about how, oh, I'm in the right place. Good to see all you guys. How did he even know this existed? Like, he just shows up. I'll get to that. But no, he just shows up. <laughs> 
And Brett's like, oh, I've had enough of you and has one of his board members just shoot Katana a bunch of times. And it's great. And I love this energy they have together between Katana and Brent. It's like quippy and sarcastic. But Katana gets back up and shrugs it off and goes, yes. And is super excited up and shot, I guess. <laughs> And Michael Ironside and Dunsey McGinley are clearly just the people having the most fun in this movie. So I love them. I would watch just the movie of those two guys being villains, like the the evil adventures of Katana and Brent. That is a great TV show idea. Yeah, yeah. I would watch that. It'd be so much fun. Highlander spinoff. <laughs> well, they have enough spinoffs in other movies and TV shows. Might as well have another. It'd be a great like web series. Oh, man. We, that'd be great. Someone who knows how to make web series do that, please. <laughs> So Katana kills the guy who shot him brutally and takes a seat at the board table. And how does Katana know about the corporation in business? Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't doesn't say. He just does. He's probably watched it all on his cape TV, Sam. Maybe. His cape TV. Yes, he knows everything. <laughs> but he declares himself a partner of Brent. And then Brent's like, okay, partner, what is it you want? And he's like, I want the Highlander. And Brent's like, okay, hey, uh, whoever, get on the Highlander thing right away. <laughs> and like, like, he pretends like he knows what he's talking about. It's really good. <laughs> but apparently that's enough for them. They're on the Highlander project now. Not that they know who the Highlander <laughs> is because nobody nope. refers to McCloud as the Highlander. <laughs> Never. He's always McCloud in this movie, except for right now when he's the Highlander. <laughs> Oh, man, it's great. So we're back with Ramirez and McCloud, and they're talking about the shield, about going above the shield, and how they need more coordinates, when Louise suddenly bursts in and says, Alan has been taken to a maximum security prison. How does she know that? Doesn't matter. She was a terrorist. That's why. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do they broadcast immediately when people are taken to a prison? Is like that's something that she can just monitor? The uh, I don't know. <laughs> She's good at hacking things. Tell the police to That's true. She hacked Zordon in the beginning of this movie so she could figure this out. Right. <laughs> So the plan is Ramirez and McLeod are in a car and they just drive straight through, like they barrel through the front gate of the prison and they just get shot a lot, like machine gunned up and down, excessively shot. They're left super dead. <laughs> and then the police open the trunk of the car and they see Louise in the trunk and she gets out and it's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saving me, these crazy people. They just kidnapped me and shoved me in this car and then drove in here. Oh, they're dead. Oh my. And they take her and the, the corpses of Ramirez and McLeod into the building. <laughs> ah, <laughs> such a clever plan. That is kind of clever though. <laughs> well, why do they know they would take them all into the building? Why do they take the corpses, I don't know, somewhere else? Like not into the prison? Right. But You think you'd call an ambulance and have them taken to the morgue. <laughs> right. That's what I think too. And maybe give Louise to the police to, like, interview or something. But nope. There's, everyone just comes inside the prison. There's a doctor's office in the prison. So they all go there. To examine the bullet-riddled bodies to make sure they're really dead. <laughs> and to, like, check out Louise. Like, oh, you got a few cuts and bruises. Nothing too bad. But Ramirez and McLeod, of course, are not dead. They get back up, banter about who got shot more. <laughs> like, oh, I got 113. I'm going to count that little scrape as a shot. That doesn't count. They're, like, doing a whole little back and forth thing. So it's almost like the uh, show called The Immortal Bickerers. It was fun. <laughs> I would watch that too. <laughs> so they get back up. They subdue the guards around them. They get Louise and they all go to search the prison for Alan and they immediately find Alan who's clearly been tortured a bit and he gives McLeod the coordinates to where the shield is weak and they can get through to check out on the radiation levels and then Alan dies. Oh, That's a bummer. But Katana and Brent are watching the whole thing on their security system prison monitoring. I don't know. They just have cameras everywhere. It's the Cave TV Plus. <laughs> cave TV Plus. Yeah, that's it. it's not the Cave TV. It's Brent's magic security system. <laughs> and Katana's like, you know, I knew this would come to this. 
I'm going to get McCloud. I can't wait to face him. Brent's like, I'll take care of them right now. Don't worry about it. And he pushes the button. And as Ramirez, McCloud, and Luis are all leaving, they get trapped in a room, like a circular room, and there's a giant fan in the ceiling that's spinning very fast and is slowly lowering. Why is a fan <laughs> death trap room like this in a prison? I don't know, but Brent thinks ahead. What? What? No, wait. Why is there a giant fan <laughs> in prison? That lowers to turn people into smoothies. I have written in my notes, good question, Sam. I don't know. <laughs> Makes no sense. So, giant fan, lowering to turn them into smoothies. Ramirez tells everyone to stay back. And he puts like his hands up as he gives a speech about how most people have a full measure of life and just let it slowly drip away. But if you can summon it all up at once, you can accomplish miracles. And magical light shoots out of his hands and stops the fan as bagpipe music blares. And the fan recedes back up into the ceiling. And Ramirez tells him to run. His time is over. He will take the power of both of you to stop Katana and destroy the shield. And then Ramirez vanishes in an explosion of light and a real explosion. So that was the only reason Ramirez existed. Yep. (laughs) Wow. It's wild. Again, in this version, that makes no sense. In the original version, he was a sorcerer. So it's like him using his magic powers to save their life. Right. Okay. But either way, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was just picturing the fan from Willy Wonka and the fan is going on and on and on and they're like flying up. I was just picturing that fan, but in It's exactly that. Yes, exactly that, but backwards. Exactly right. It's great. I was thinking of Galaxy Quest, where they're going, I think it's Galaxy Quest, where they're going through all this stuff, and he's like, who wrote this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Chompers and the Big Fan and the Omega-13, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Solid references. So Brent is surprised that they escape. Katana is not. (laughs) So then Louise are in a slow-moving truck as they drive this big truck out of the prison, apparently without further impediments to their escape. And then Katana just casually walks in front of the truck, the most drunk or asleep and i think this must be a scene that was cut and placed in here from some other part of the movie his cashy walks in front of the truck and the truck just slowly runs him over <laughs> doesn't look very brutal slowly runs him over and louise goes outstanding <laughs> like he's just what? like what <laughs> she's elated at having run over katana and they just drive off it's so good it's so good oh my god <laughs> That line is amazing. Can you say outstanding one more time? Uh, no, no, no. You have to go back and listen to the episode. Okay. That'll be your incentive to re-listen. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, I was planning on it anyway. I but. can't do justice to the movie, but the movie does it so much better. But it's literally <laughs> that crazy. But oh no, Katana hitched a ride by grabbing onto like the undercarriage of the car, like the axles of the truck. <laughs> and he pulls himself up onto the truck. And then McLeod climbs out of the truck and tells Luis to keep driving while he handles this. And he goes to fight Katana on the roof of this truck and katana tries to attack louise by smashing the windshield why don't they just pull over it's a good question mccloud tells him to keep driving because <laughs> it's more interesting if the car is moving emily <laughs> it's a better fight scene fight scenes on reason. trucks i get it yeah yeah but mccloud kicks katana off the truck and they drive off so they escaped him as if they'd been stopped they wouldn't be able to do that so you know they think ahead mccloud had a plan <laughs> whatever <laughs> <laughs> So they drive to what was like a quarry where a mountain pokes above the shield. Apparently it only takes them like 15 minutes to get to this place from the city they were in. I don't know. (laughs) And they climb up this ladder in a shaft of the mountain. Why is there a ladder in the shaft of this mountain? Um, 
movie day. I don't know. It's just there. Do all mountains have ladders inside? That I would believe is it. accurate. Yeah, that very much could be. So they're climbing through this thing. They emerge at a cave above the shield and they see a snowy mountainside and the shield above them is gone because the shield is actually below them now. And there are blue skies and clouds and Louise is overwhelmed. I'm like, wait a minute. That shield is really low if a, a mountain can just poke through it. Like... If they could just be on top of a mountain with no, like, oxygen support or anything and just stand there and have to see the shield, like, 100 feet below them, that shield is not very high. <laughs> but importantly, there is no deadly UV radiation. They're not immediately turned into barbecue crisps or whatever. So they're determined to take down the shield. Yeah, that was quite the chance they took just stepping out into the mountain. They're like, it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't get Louise already, like, stole measurements from the shield control place that said, hey, UV radiation level is normal. Couldn't they have sent, like, a probe or have a measurement taken above the shield? Like, why is it necessary for them just to climb through? This would be, like, a government body, like, monitoring the UV levels. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm wondering, now I'm stuck on the fact that if the shield's super low, how are they flying planes? I know, I was going to say that. To be fair, the plane he was flying was, like, a small prop plane. It wasn't, like, a jetliner. So maybe they're, like, stuck to lower altitude types of planes. Okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> Again, this is me justifying the movie, an effort the movie does not make to justify itself. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Brent and Katana are arguing about what to do about McCloud, and Brent's like, if they figure out about the UV radiation, they can ruin the company, it'll go into chapter 11, because all the, the countries will stop paying the S.H.I.E.L.D. company if they don't need the S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, and I'm like, there's gotta be a better solution here, dude. <laughs> you have S.H.I.E.L.D. technology, I'm sure there's gonna be demand for that somewhere. But Brent gets very heated with Katana, who doesn't seem to care about the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation, but only cares about McCloud, and then Katana gets sick of Brent's attitude, and he hoists Brent up by his genitals, like he reaches out and just grabs him by the genitals, hoists him up, and throws him out a window to his death. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> it is wild. It's crazy. So we're back to McCloud and Louise. So they infiltrate Shield HQ, basically identically to how they did in the beginning, in wetsuits, <laughs> uh, by ziplining in, I guess, through the dam. And they climb to the this top of the building. This is a real security risk. Like, they need to look at... <laughs> no. They did not they learn. the worst security of a paranoid evil mega corporation protecting a shield that, they, that people believe is literally saving the Earth. They're like... Eh, zip lines aren't a big deal. Just ignore them. <laughs> They'll definitely never do this again. It was a one-off situation. Oh, they, they learned nothing in this movie. But they climb to the top of the shield control pyramid thing, and there's a beam of light that's projecting upwards that's presumably maintaining the shield. But oh no, Katana is there! So McCloud fights him, wielding for the first time his trusty Katana sword. So it's McCloud with a katana, fighting, fighting the katana. villain in katana, and I am so confused. <laughs> katana versus katana. Thing. And not even katana from Mortal Kombat. It's fine. Well, you can only have two katanas. Three katanas would be too many. That's way too many katanas. That's one too many katanas. <laughs> this is Highlander 2, katana versus katana. Highlander 3, too many katanas. <laughs> <laughs> the search for more katanas. <laughs> the search for more katanas. So I have yes. a question before you continue. Absolutely. You remember how Brent, before he died, said something about the energy would kill the whole planet if they turned off the shield? Does that come back? So, no. Uh, <laughs> I was unclear of what he is... See, okay, so this is, again, me justifying the movie. I thought that maybe he was talking about if 
the corporation refused to turn off the shield, it would take more energy than anyone could safely use to destroy it. Like, to breach the shield and destroy it with force, it would take more energy mm, than okay. would destroy the Earth. Or, I think, actually, what it's supposed to mean is that you can't turn off the shield without releasing energy that would destroy the planet. And that's not addressed in this version, <laughs> at least. I don't, I don't really know. I, I didn't look up. Maybe it's addressed in the original theatrical version. But whatever the case, that's just just kind of a real. Yeah, I just got to a point where I'm like, mm, this seems like the end of the movie where there's going to be a battle and Louise is going to yep. try to turn it off or something. And that's kind of my prediction. So I wanted to see, does this come back into play at all where it destroys the world? No. <laughs> the world ends in Highlander 2, Emily. <laughs> and then it comes back in Highlander 3. <laughs> well, I have time travel. If it was a better movie, Emily, you'd be right. They, they, would, they would bring this back. They'd bring back all the stuff they set up. But it's like, I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff out here and just ignore it. <laughs> so you have the better idea. The movie has a worse idea. <laughs> Yay, I like worse ideas sometimes. <laughs> so McCloud and Katana fight each other. It's not a very interesting fight scene. It's very short. It's nothing compared to the end of Highlander, which is a much better fight scene. And Katana's about to kill McCloud. He's like a bent over near the giant beam. And McCloud manages to like shift over and stick Katana's arm in the giant beam. And his arm gets melted off and is gone. And so they fight a bit with Katana fighting one-handed, but Makad just easily knocks his sword away, cuts his head off, declaring, there can be only one! And the quickening! (laughs) The quickening! And there's a brief lightning, just like the ending of the original Highlander, but much more abbreviated and much less climactic. Does he turn back to be 90 again? (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) So Louise shows up, and then you hear the voice of Ramirez, which says... It will take the power of both of you to destroy the shield. So then McCloud steps into the shield beam and, like, releases his quickening power or whatever to destroy the whole thing. The whole thing just explodes, destroying the shield, and Louise just watches. So I guess it really didn't take both of them. <laughs> she is largely irrelevant. <laughs> so McCloud and Louise walk out under the newly revealed stars, make out a bit, the end. So it's a nighttime when they do this. Yeah, it's That's nighttime. good, because otherwise, can you imagine being in the city or something, and then you're just like, oh, God, the sun! <laughs> so, right. so just to make a quick comment about the other versions, in the European release, they had what they called the fairy tale ending, where McCloud and Louise teleport back to the planet Zeiss to live. <laughs> Sure. So he, like, takes the choice to not grow old and die on Earth, but to return to Zeiss, and he brings Louise with him. And that's what they call the fairy tale happy Louise, ending. who he's known for, like, three days. If that. <laughs> well, that was the same thing with his other wife, too. Well, his first wife, Heather, he knew for a long time. Right, but second wife. Second wife they knew for a while. But who knows, like, after the ending of the Highlander movie, like, they didn't get married right away. He didn't, like, take her, come live with me on my alien planet. Like, it's a big commitment. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what if they just, broke like, up in, in, like, three weeks and then Louise is like, um, can I go back home? <laughs> yes, but you have to be made immortal and fight to the death with a bunch of other people. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real pain in the butt. <laughs> but that is Highlander 2, the anticipation sequel to the first Highlander, which somehow makes no sense. It makes the first Highlander make less sense the more you think about the second one. <laughs> somehow the first Highlander now makes more sense because the second one makes so little sense. Oh, man. That was a long one, but there was just so there's so much crazy in this movie. Yeah, there was. And it deserved to be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really can't explain it better than that. Like I again, I wish I could have seen the original theatrical version because I remember that one and then being all aliens. I'm like, why? Why are they aliens now? Why is that a thing? <laughs> and now they're just like, why are they from the past? It doesn't make it any better. It just makes it like at least less canon breaking. 
Right. Or I don't know. That was interesting. But I am very excited to take the time to find that and watch it at some point. I, I encourage Me you. too. Watch party. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> watch party. If you've watched the first Highlander, it's fun to watch with people who know it because you're like, I don't understand what's happening. Like if your husband who's a big Highlander fan hasn't seen the second one, this is a good thing to do with him. Well, he has seen it because when I told him you were doing Highlander 2, he said, wait, which one? And I was like, what do you mean which one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Because he knew about the different versions. Oh, well, definitely. I don't know what I thought Highlander 2 was about, but that was not it. <laughs> Yeah. Any questions? I mean, uh, a million, I'm sure. But I, that's all I gotta say is like, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Michael Ironside playing Katana and Brent, the evil corporate guy. Like, they are so much fun together. I really enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, I don't think I have any questions because you did such that's a remarkable. thorough job. And I think Danielle and I like caught you a few times to be like, wait, explain this. I I definitely don't have too many questions other than like, if you had to give it a rating. Of some oh, sort. Gosh. If you had to give it a rating. Oh, no. This, like, defies... Conven- like, it's like a one-star movie in terms of, like, technical prowess. Oh, like, it obviously. Is not edited very well. It is not but coherent. But for pure fun. Let's do a I pure fun this scale. Is a, this is a, a must-watch for Highlander fans who want to just have some fun with... Like, this is a must-group watch for Highlander fans. And if anybody out there has the original... Highlander and theatrical release that they can point me to, that they have a version of that I can find or someplace where I can buy. I don't want to have to buy like a VHS copy of eBay because who has a VCR these days? It's not going to work. But if you can get me a version, if somebody has a hookup, let me know. I am desperate to watch the original version. That's adorable. Yeah, you can easily find us. If you have that, you can find me at bookretorts.com. Or you can tweet at us, Facebook us, Instagram us, at bookretorts. And Emily, Emily. yeah, tell us about where we can find you. Yeah, find I Drink Your Podcast at I Drink Your Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, Instagram is IDYP underscore podcast. That's also our Twitter handle. We're also on Facebook, but we rarely use that because who uses Facebook anymore? (laughs) But you also can directly email us at idrinkyourpodcast at gmail.com. We have a few things coming out soon. Yes, tell us. We have... Well, actually, we just wrapped up our Disney month, which is really exciting. So we did a series of Disney movies from 2007. There are a lot. We're not done (laughs) with them, but we did four this month. And the one that came out yesterday was Wild Hogs with John Travolta and Tim Allen and Martin Lawrence. And I can't remember the other guy's name, but it is not a good movie. But we did have a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait to listen to that episode. Feel free to check us out. Also, if you enjoyed Southland Tales, you know, you should definitely listen to Danielle's episode with us on it. It is super fun. It is a great episode. Not because I was on it. It really was a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) And Danielle, humble as always. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on and putting up with my ramblings about Highlander 2. thoroughly enjoyed it. I could talk for hours about this movie and the mythology of the Highlander series, not even having seen any of the other Highlander stuff. I did see a little bit of the Highlander animated series as a child. I don't remember it. There's an animated series? (laughs) Oh, oh yes. There are several TV shows and an animated TV show. Okay, Sam, so this is happening. I'm going to spend a lot of time watching Highlander and getting caught up and we'll come back and talk sometime. Oh, uh-oh. And we'll discuss right. more Highlander things. We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Great. 
There's Highlander 3 The Sorcerer. There's Highlander something something Endgame, I think. I don't know. There's a lot of Highlander movies and TV shows. Boy, it's a thing. But yeah, I can't wait for that. But until then, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Take care, everybody. on our podcast said Scooby-Doo WWE collaborations are usually the good ones. What? Yeah. (laughs) I thought of you. I forgot to tell you, Sam. I'm sorry. (laughs) Danielle! You betrayed me! (laughs) I was doing other stuff while listening to the podcast, so by the time I talked to you, I'd forgotten. (laughs)